Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Isn't this the Money in the Bank edition? No, Riddle, it is not the Money in the Bank edition yet. Hold your horses. We are less than three weeks away from WWE Money in the Bank going down in London, England at the O2 Arena. For today, the Silver King and Vintage Chris Vanini are here to break down everything that happened in the world of WWE over the last week. We have, yes, an absolutely loaded show as we always do, a main event. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word, all still to come. But I would be remiss if I began the show any other way than reminding you that this podcast is all about defiance. So please, folks, don't forget. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King and Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. And on Spotify, you can actually leave comments under individual episodes that we publish and others get to see. I know a lot of you have become first-time listeners of this show from Spotify. I appreciate that so much. Leave those comments. Leave those reviews. They're so important. They convince other people to listen to the show. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast for episode drops, wrestling news, highlights, and much more again on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And there's one more thing. I happen to love the number five. You can become an official Getting Overhead by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. And for only $5 a month, not only do you support the existence of the show, you put a couple cold ones in the refrigerator for myself and vintage. Beyond all of that, you also get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling after every major American television show and WWE and AEW news posts that you're not going to get anywhere else. And anyone who's been reading this stuff over the last couple of weeks knows that we are hitting on that news. So I appreciate everyone who is already a getting overhead. I appreciate all of you who are considering joining up. And let me also send a special shout out to three new year-long getting overheads. We have Jeff V, Alan W, and Jersey Who, all of whom joined up for those 12-month memberships over the last few days. And we got a couple comments from them as well. Alan wrote, the best preview and review and pro wrestling informative podcast, period. Jersey wrote, love all the great content. Enjoy a real beer, not coffee, cream, ale, or Alka Pop on me. First of all, a coffee, cream, ale is far more of a real beer than an alcoholic seltzer. But if you're going to gatekeep I'll get myself a double IPA and we can all be happy. But Jeff V, Alan W, Jersey Who, allow me to. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. We acknowledge all three of you. I love it. Also, that's not Jeff V as in my brother. So uh, thank you, whoever this Jeff V is. Always appreciate uh, everybody listening, reaching out, uh, paying for buy me a coffee and everything it's it's been really great to to get all this feedback and, and hear from folks and uh yeah we just we appreciate it is your jeff v a j or a g it's a j i don't want to alienate anyone here but the jeff with a g e o f f kind of bothers me i don't know it feels feels forced that that version of jeff all uh, with, with the g always reminds me of 
the Toys R Us mascot, Jeffrey the Giraffe. Yes. It's spelled with a G. Yes, yes. And again, they had to figure out, hey, what G name are we going to name this, you know, giraffe mascot? They're not going to call him Greg. So, you know, they yeah, I was thinking Greg, <laughs> they had to figure out, you know, something else to do. I don't even know what other G name that they could possibly use. But um, yeah. Anyway, George, George. Yeah. Again, not George the giraffe. It's not going to be that. Right. So uh, Jeffrey, yeah. however you're spelled, Jeff with a J, Jeff with a G. If you listen to this show, we appreciate you very much much. Chris, uh, it's been a fun week for WWE. I'd say a somewhat controversial week, not in terms of things that happened off screen, but I've seen a lot of differing opinions about what happened on SmackDown, what happened on Raw, and I don't want to waste much time getting into it. So I'm glad that you're back full time on uh, today's show after being on tour, I guess you could say, or uh, on location last week in Orlando. You only were here for the main event. You're here for the entire show this week, starting with the segment we always slide into to open this show. The main event. This is the main event. And we do have a double main event this week, all of it actually coming from SmackDown, and you will understand why as we get a little further into it. But let's kick off as we normally do on these WWE episodes with The Bloodline. We had Paul Heyman and Solo Sokoa open SmackDown with Jey Uso interrupting before Heyman could even introduce himself. Jey went after Solo for stabbing his older brother in the back. Heyman clarified it's not any of their fault. It's actually Jimmy's fault. Paul explained that Jimmy made his choice out of jealousy and resentment, knowing Roman Reigns was grooming Jay, the right-hand man, as the next tribal chief. Heyman said the Usos are disbanded, and to prove that Jay really is Roman's successor, he got him a United States championship match, and winning that title would be the first step in him becoming the next tribal chief. Heyman said he needed an answer immediately, Jay took the match, but refused to shake Paul's hand, delaying his decision for later in the show. So then backstage, Sami Zayn confronted Jay as he was kind of pacing. He said his time in the bloodline was some of the best in his entire life. And he made a crack about Jay always breaking and how Sammy made him laugh, which made Jay break, which is very funny. Uh, Zayn reminded about the manipulation of Reigns and Heyman, saying he was forced to go against his own brother, Kevin Owens, just like Jay is now with Jimmy. He said being the next tribal chief is an attractive option, but Jay has to go with his heart just like Sammy did. Jay stood there listening the entire time, but eventually walked away. Paul later told Jay that he needed a passport so he could fly on the private jet with Reigns to Money in the Bank, and he needed his suit measurements so he could be publicly acknowledged by Reigns himself next week as the upcoming tribal chief. Jay was all about it, but again refused to shake Heyman's hand, saying, If he's in the bloodline next week, he being Jay, then Heyman is out of it. And obviously that pissed off Paul. And Chris, all the ways I thought that this storyline might develop this week, I didn't expect this. My immediate reaction seeing all this transpire was, man, they should strap up Jay. Like maybe even with Solo helping him and either have him turn on Roman despite the win or run alongside Roman as a somewhat jilted champion and perhaps even briefly feud the Usos together. Jay against Jimmy. Jimmy angry that Jay did it, but Jay's the champion. It's the first solo title of his career. I didn't necessarily think that would happen, but man, that booking, like as it was like floating around in my head as the show was unfolding, it really sounded enticing and interesting and exciting. Paul, Jay, and Sammy, they were all again top tier in these segments. And for a show without Reigns, which was disappointing because of the cliffhanger last week, I kind of assumed he'd be on the show. 
it was an, an intriguing storyline to keep this viewer at least hooked. It was dumb by Jay to tell Paul that he was against him in the last segment, because why would that help him in any way? But out of all of the stuff I just described, that was my lone gripe with all of it. Well, I think that part is Jay getting a little bit ahead of himself. And right. You can see that he he is willing to buy into that idea. Oh, Roman Roman does. I was his right hand man. He does think I could be the new travel chief. I'm feeling good about myself. You're you're going to be out of here, Paul, and, and kind of just getting too caught up into it, which has kind of been Jay's thing for a long time. Is he kind of gets too emotional, too connected, too quickly to a lot of things. When, when this was set up, I was like, I love the 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 set up in the booking for multiple reasons. One, if Jey Uso can win a U.S. title, his first singles title, mm -hmm. it opens the door to possibility in your mind. We don't really think Jay is going to take the title off of Roman. But if he has a U.S. title ring under his belt, we will look at him differently as a singles competitor. He won the what, Andre Memorial Battle Royal one of those years uh, during the during the pandemic. But to have a single belt would really separate him and Jimmy in a new kind of way. Also, it would take the title off of Austin Theory, which really needs to happen because right. that title is dead right now. Uh, so, yeah, I thought the setup heading into the main event of SmackDown was really good. Yeah, it's a great point at the end there. Theory losing the title was just as intriguing and exciting to me as Jay winning it. I was like, wow, they can correct a few things all at once. And Jay doesn't even need to have a long title reign because, again, if he had won the United States Championship, then if he, let's say, doesn't join the bloodline or Paul is angry at him and and Roman just does it so that he separates him from Jimmy and puts them at a, you know against each other head to head, then they could always cost him the title in a defense in two weeks. You know, a short title reign when it's a storytelling device is totally OK, especially when it's someone like Jey Uso, who's never been a singles champion before. So there were so many different reasons why that was such an enticing and exciting option that I built myself up as the show went on. I was like, man, I really hope they pull the trigger with Jay here. Now, will they down the line? Perhaps. But let's go ahead and talk about what happened later in the show. So we had the United States Championship match, Austin Theory against Jay Uso. Theory backstage was angry and he felt disrespected about being the last to know about the title match. And you know what? Fair play to him. He promised to make Jay a failure like John Cena and offered himself as Heyman's next client. I thought it was actually a really solid promo from Theory. Uh, deep into the match, the referee accidentally got knocked out. Jay hit a huge Uso splash and would have gotten the win had he been alive to count the referee. Pretty Deadly ran down to get Theory's back with Jimmy taking them out to help his brother. That led Solo to come down, blindsiding Jimmy, only for Jay to stop the Samoan spike. Solo then dodged a super kick with Jimmy tagging Jay instead as Theory rolled inside for the one, two, three to retain the title off a single super kick, which just never happens. Now, replay was shown immediately as Jimmy consoled Jay and lifted him up. Jay pushed Jimmy, then walked away from him before walking away, really walking past Heyman and Sokoa. Paul kept saying, I'm sorry, but he smirked to himself once Jay was out of view and he called Roman Reigns on his cell phone like he always does. Jay, of course, was pissed off at everyone. And I just thought this was really well done. Like, I would have much preferred Theory picking up Jay and hitting A-Town down so the defeat made more sense than coming off a single super kick and a delayed cover. But other than that, the family dynamics, Jay coming off as unable to trust either side, Heyman, again, manufacturing conflict that all kept within the proper confines of the story. We will never know for sure whether Jay 
was being gaslit by Paul or if they actually wanted him to win the title given the finish. Though Solo attacking Jimmy really for no reason in the moment gives us an idea. The other frustration right. was being promised a decision all week, Chris, with the expectation Roman would be there for that decision, only for the entire thing to basically be an in-between angle delaying the promise until this Friday. But when the story delivers, it makes up for stuff like that. And that's exactly what happened here once again. So I didn't mind Reigns not being on the show, though again, my expectation was he would be there. I loved what we got over the entire two hours, multiple segments, kind of teasing, getting us to the match. It wasn't the finish that I hoped for based on everything that we just discussed, but nevertheless, executed well, moves the storyline forward. And once again, I'm left wanting more and tuning in next week to find out what's going to happen next. Yep. If Roman is not there, give us a story. Don't give us just some tag team match, some six man and the show instead of whatever. It's a lot more interesting when you do it this way. Every part of this worked and like all right, all down to the beginning of pretty deadly coming in to help Austin Theory, as opposed to just going to solo, you know, and and something. Mm -hmm. You you could have seen this easily set up where uh, Jimmy comes in to help, Solo comes in, knocks out Jimmy, uh, or tries to knock out Jimmy, hits Jay, and off we go. But by, by, by starting with Pretty Deadly coming in, not only is it important to have Pretty Deadly come in, it created a reason for everything else to happen and all and almost some kind of plausible deniability because hey the bloodline gave jay this chance they didn't start the whole run in austin theories people started that run in and things got crazy and things happened so like that was great i love a good wild ending with lots of different run-ins mm-hmm. I, I like when AEW does it. I think they do it too much sometimes, but it feels like, oh man, there's so much chaos going on at the end of this. And then you get the finish. And I just, it adds to the intensity. I really like that. So, uh, and, and all the way down to at the end too, when, when, when the camera's on Heyman and solo, uh, Paul says into his phone, call Roman reigns, but the camera cut before he finished saying it, he said, call. And then the camera cuts and he says, Roman Reigns. So then it comes back. Camera comes back to them and Heyman does it again and make sure he gets the whole thing on camera. Call Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's a master at his craft, understanding where everything is at, knowing when the camera's on, when it's not and how to, when to deliver the line. I just thought there was like, it's like a little thing, but it worked because then on Monday, when they showed the highlight of here's what happened on Friday, they had the right clip mm-hmm. of Paul saying it on camera. So like just ever, there were so many little pieces of this I thought worked really well. And all in all, a great story for an episode of SmackDown. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. Now, like I said, this is a co-main event and we are staying with SmackDown. We're shifting from the men's main storyline to the women's main storyline. So Bianca Belair uh, was backstage angry that Adam Pierce was keeping her away from Asuka during Asuka's forthcoming championship title ceremony. Belair protested further, but he said she's in line for a rematch as long as she leaves the ceremony alone. She, of course, accepted those terms because she's a babyface. The title presentation was the mid-show main event, and the new WWE Women's Championship was identical to the new undisputed title, Roman Reigns title, but with a white strap. Now, we'll talk about the look of the title much later. Before the new championship was even around Asuka's waist, Charlotte Flair returned. She made her full entrance, stood in the center of the ring. Pierce told her she needs to get in line, to which Flair said, she doesn't wait in line, she made the line. 
Flair pointed at the Raw women's title on the table and said she wants it. She said she respects Asuka, but wants the title anyway. So Asuka accepted a challenge. Pierce tried protesting as Flair then said, well, I actually want both titles. Then she dodged Asuka's mist, kneed Asuka in the face, and stood tall at the end. Later backstage, Pierce was on the phone excited about how Flair was in a title match and just fell into their laps. Belair approached him angry with her arms crossed, and Pierce basically said, hey, don't worry, I'll figure it all out. All she could say is that he better figure it all out. And Chris, one of the great things about hosting this podcast and um, you know being the main host, and of course, you're the co-host as well, um, I really should have the Miz sound drop, the it's my show, my show, you know, type of drop for this, a moment like this, is I get to choose what mm-hmm. goes in the main event and, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Largely, you certainly contribute as well. But when I want to rant about something, I make sure to give it time. And folks, I'm going to go on a rant here. I'm not sure this could have been booked worse. In one fell swoop, Asuka already feels like a transitional champion or at least a placeholder. They overshadowed a nice moment for her, which we basically never get by shoving Charlotte into it immediately. Then you have Flair once again acting like a heel, but being wrongly booked as a babyface. Then you have her referencing the Raw women's title laying on the table, not once, not twice, three different times in the segment when the new championship is around Asuka's waist, which is what they should be featuring given, you know, they literally fucking switched out the Raw title seconds earlier in this promoted segment. And then you have the Bianca aspect. Pierce has been in this GM role for years now. The guy isn't capable in kayfabe of realizing, huh, I can just make a triple threat match? Why should Belair have to wait in kayfabe for her rematch when she got screwed out of the title just because Flair decides to show up on SmackDown? Now look, this does potentially seem like a catalyst for something happening with Belair. Maybe a heel turn. She's the good soldier doing what she's told, only to have Flair come in and just steal an opportunity like she always does. Maybe Asuka wins with Bianca's help. Since it's going to be a TV match, it's happening in three weeks on SmackDown, not at Money in the Bank. But man, they tried to turn Becky Lynch heel against Charlotte, and that blew up in their face. Out of the three, no one really wants to boo Asuka. They just kind of go along with it because they have to. Bianca is a white meat baby face, and Charlotte is this tweener, I guess, who is being forced into a baby face role. So you have three women, two of whom the fans don't want to boo, and one of whom they're being told not to boo. I could see this going the same way as Becky. And look, maybe that's the point. Maybe the idea is to make Belair an edgy babyface rather than a heel. And if so, okay, that could possibly work. But even if this ends up working out in a best case scenario, how many fucking times do we have to do the exact same thing with Charlotte? Return, immediate title match, win title, lose title after a short reign, go on break, return, immediate title match. Why is she the only woman who cannot exist without being in the title picture? It's like she's a modern day Brock Lesnar where Vince forced him over and over again. If he was on TV, he was going after the title and he couldn't do anything else. Give her something else to fucking do for a change. I mean, there's not even a storyline here. They didn't even bother bringing up her history with Asuka. Literally, again, it's just, hey, I'm here. Give me a title match. 
Hey, this booking stuff isn't easy, you know. I just simply will not be able to stand it again, seeing one of the most dominant women in the history of this company, I'm talking about Asuka here, being used as potentially a transitional champion just because, oh yeah, Charlotte is back. Not again. None of this worked for me, as you can tell, Friday. The kayfabe part of the booking or the execution of the segment itself. It was a mess. The new title was completely overshadowed. And if Charlotte does win it in a few weeks, it's gonna be even worse. Not just with her getting the title, but her beating Asuka again. But even if she doesn't win, this is massively and annoyingly repetitive. I think the most concerning part is the thing you said at the beginning, which was we didn't even get a chance to celebrate Asuka. You could have done this uh, next week. You could have done this at the end of uh, something. Have a big vignette video package before the title talking about Asuka's career and how great she is and all this stuff. Like You could have done something to be like, Asuka's a big deal. Oh, and here's Charlotte. Charlotte's here. What's going on? Instead, it was new title. Asuka gets it. Charlotte's here. We barely got any attention on Asuka. That is the biggest concern because I think we there is certainly a place for this to be saved. I think an ideal scenario would be Charlotte versus Asuka in London on SmackDown. Bianca interferes and Asuka retains. And then we get a triple threat between the three of them at SummerSlam. I think that'd be awesome. I think that's very much on the table. Mm -hmm. But because it's Charlotte, I also think it's very much on the table that Charlotte just wins and becomes the transitional champ to do Charlotte versus Bianca at SummerSlam, which is a match I think you should say for WrestleMania, but whatever. So everything you said was right. We've been through this with Charlotte before many, many times. Um, As you compared her to Brock Lesnar, I thought about this. Remember... Brock became Cowboy Brock. He had hair. He had a beard, a cowboy hat. Now he wears a duster. And it was like he was fun again. Mm-hmm. He he just had a new look. Charlotte has been the same thing since she came up. She's always the robes, Charlotte Flair, woos, whatever. How about a character change for her? Change up her look other than her hair length, you know, like give her something totally different. Send her character in a new direction just to see what we can get out of that. Instead, it's the same old thing every time. And it's really frustrating. I think I am. How about she loses, Chris? Chris, how about she just loses a bunch for a change? Like the easiest storyline that you can do loses for a while figures it out. And we're talking, when I say a while, I don't mean a month. I don't mean losing two TV matches, like losing for three months, four months, figures it out and goes in with the John Cena storyline. Like just do anything with her where we see personality, where we see her not talk mm-hmm. like a robot, where she's not directly involved in the championship picture, where she's working with women and putting other people over that are not already established stars. I mean, it's just frustratingly so repetitive with her. And I didn't mean to interrupt you. I know you had more to say, but like it's over and over again. And it's not even like missionary position because at least missionary position, you're enjoying yourself to some degree. I'm not enjoying myself anymore with this. You want to know the worst possible scenario here? Charlotte wins on SmackDown, but for Money in the Bank, shows up for whatever reason at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Gets cashed cashed in on. Of course. We have a, yeah. we have another less than 24 hour reign 
uh, another uh, Money in the Bank cash in right away. It's on Charlotte once again. Again, it's Charlotte. I think that's on the table. I think that's the worst possible scenario. I also think it's possible this is leading to a triple threat at SummerSlam, which could be a good thing. So fingers crossed. I mean, it's possible they do a triple. It's possible that Bianca interferes Friday, costing Charlotte the title. That leads legit to a triple threat the next night. Money in the Bank. I could definitely see them doing that. Then Flair wins by pinning Asuka or Flair, or actually either of them. She wins by pinning either of them. And then we get Flair, Belair anyway at SummerSlam. So you get three matches in a very short window. There's so many different ways that you could do it, but none of them are good because Charlotte doesn't need to be involved. What we need and all we needed was Asuka retaining the title over Belair at Money in the Bank. One-on-one rematch. Very simple. You have someone win the briefcase. Maybe it's Sky, Maybe it's not. If you want to return Charlotte and you want to do Asuka Charlotte at SummerSlam after the fact, after Asuka's already retained over Bel Air, then you do that match. And then if you want whoever wins the briefcase to cash in, whether Charlotte wins or whether Asuka wins at SummerSlam, then you can do that. And it's at least a lot more palatable because you're not feeling like it's being forced in your face. And again, it's not flair interrupting a championship ceremony for a woman that we want to celebrate but never get an opportunity to celebrate because every time she gets something, guess who's there to take it away from her? Charlotte freaking Flair. We, we we need to get Charlotte Bianca at some point. That is your biggest money match. Mm-hmm. I just hope they're not rushing into that and just throwing Asuka to the side just because, oh, we decided to do it now in a month or three weeks build. Um, they'll get there. I just... I am concerned now every time this happens. It's possible that they are. I mean, you know, Charlotte's taking so much time off and some of it is for surgery. Some of it's for vacations, you know, tons of different things that have happened to her over the years. Um, got married. Got marriage, right. And it's possible that she's operating on like a hybrid Roman Reigns edge schedule where she just comes in for the big shows mm-hmm. and they put the title on her because number one, they want to up the number, but they want her in the big matches. And for most WWE premium live events. Unfortunately, the only women's matches you get. Now, this hasn't been true recently. There's actually been a couple non-title women's matches, but historically, most of them involve a title. So they bring her back. They put the title on her. They put her on the big show. She loses, drops the title to someone else. Again, massively frustrating, but I could see that being her schedule these days. And we have no indication. I think she said something about her and Andrade wanting to have children at some point. Well, she is getting up there. I'm not saying, you know, anything negative about that, but she is getting up there in years. And this could be a situation where she's like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do the Bel Air match because maybe I want to have a kid and I may not be around for a year or longer after this. Mm-hmm. So if I don't do it now, then who knows what's what WWE looks like, what Bianca is like, you know, 18 months from now. So there might be right. a reason why they're doing it this way. But Chris, it's just it's still there's so many other ways they could have booked this where it's not the same thing that we always get. And it's frustrating because it's Charlotte returning and being in the title picture is frustrating on its own. Doing it, interrupting Asuka the way she did and making Belair look like a moron while this is happening. Again, even though that may be a device to change Bianca's character, great. On Friday, she still looked like an absolute moron by going about it the way she did. So it just... I did like, yeah. I did like Bianca, by the way, in those backstage segments, like a bit more personality, a bit more oh, yeah. frustration, not not just the smiling, hair-waving girl. So I do think there's a lot, you know, we've said Bianca is going to be a great heel if it ever happens, uh, but whatever it is, 
I saw a lot I liked from her uh, as well. She was a heel in NXT and she was great at it. So, yes, I, yep. I, I mean, again, I, I do believe, Chris, that this is a storytelling device. I'm not taking that away from the booking and I'm not ignoring that. It's just there's so many other ways to do it without it being the same thing over and over again. Now, we talked about Charlotte's return and Bianca and Asuka. What we didn't talk about is the new WWE Women's Championship. I will say, off the top, it does look better than Reigns' title, mostly because of the white strap. But it's that same like mustard yellow color and not the gold that you would hope would be on that back plate, which I just hate. It doesn't look good to me. Plus, the logic behind it doesn't really make that much sense, okay? Roman's title should theoretically be special because he currently holds two simultaneous reigns. Asuka does not. Yet not only do the titles look identical, which they're trying to say that the women's title is on par with the men's, and I appreciate that 99 times out of 100, but again, Reigns is in a different stratosphere right now because of the way he's been booked, and Asuka just isn't. She only has one title reign. He has two. His championship is undisputed. Hers is not, and that brings me to my next problem because not only does it look identical, even though it is officially being called the, quote, WWE Women's Championship, the belt itself actually says Women's Undisputed champion, except she's not the undisputed champion at all. Now, I know what you're going to say, Chris. Roman's not either. And that is completely fair. (laughs) But at least you can make an argument that he is. He is an undisputed, quote, WWE Universal champion. He combined both of those or or he hasn't unified unified them, but he's undisputed because at one time he was the only world champion. There has never been a time where Asuka is the only world champion. There's no argument for her. At least there's an argument for Reigns. And I know some of you may be saying, eh, Silver King, you're nitpicking. I'm really not. This is basic logic. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. It's not like it's difficult to learn what the term undisputed means. It's like when WWE trademarks names and doesn't Google search them before doing so. How do you not take that step and work it out beforehand? How do you not know what the term undisputed means when you're creating new championship titles? If the exact title existed, even though it looks the same as Reigns, and it just said women's champion or WWE women's champion, I would have less of a problem with it. But it's the fact that it looks the same as a more real undisputed title and says undisputed title, even though it's not, that to me, Chris, is really frustrating. Okay, you said everything I was going to say just in a lot of Sorry. way because I, I just <laughs> I wanted to rant here. It's it, Triple H is obsessed with the word undisputed, and it's just it's not the undisputed championship. Neither of them are. They literally created a new belt. He handed the belt to them. They're this is the the, the Oscar belt is even less undisputed because, like you said, that's what I'm they saying. Don't even call it that. She's not. There, there's. Nothing she's never claimed undisputed. I think they just, I think Triple H just loves the word undisputed. And I think back to like, WWE used to have the undisputed championship Mm -hmm. when they merged it with the WCW championship and became the world, uh, you know, Chris Jericho won it. Mm -hmm. Triple H, I think was the one first presented with it, that new undisputed belt. 
And but once they brought back the WCW belt as the World Heavyweight Championship, it was the other belt, the black belt, was no longer called the Undisputed Championship. <laughs> Correct. It was a WWE, it was a WWE championship. championship. Right. Because it's not undisputed anymore. Neither of these belts are undisputed. You like Romans is more of a unified than an undisputed. We talked about that last week, I think. Right. But we did. But this this is this is it's just complete nonsense and it's just ridiculous. And I know it's like a small thing, but it annoys me to no end because the titles are like the face of your company. There was an Ohio State player who committed this weekend and he had the red he had the red universal championship on him in his graphic mm-hmm. and wearing Ohio State gear as he committed. Like like these things, these images matter and for it to just it's just it's just insulting. I, I we haven't even really talked about the women's lineage. Is this going to it continues. continue the old? It does. Women, the old women's championship. So is that mm-hmm. pre divas championship? No. Uh, so the um, I believe, if memory serves, the divas got converted into the Raw, which now gets converted into the WWE Women's Championship. The SmackDown one started fresh, and the SmackDown one will continue with what we'll talk about in a moment: the Women's World Championship. It looks. Oh, by the way, you're right. It does look great. Uh, it, it does look better than Romans with the white because strap. of the white right. stripe. I still think it's just generally harder to see the logo than the previous one. Um, yeah. If this had just been, if this had been a white background with the normal way, I think that would probably look a little bit better. I think it's this one's still it's a little too gaudy for me. But we, it seems clear as well, Triple H or whoever makes these decisions does not like the empty space behind the empty black space or white space behind the belt. And so, look, the, the women's belt already had red or blue behind it. So switching it to gold is not as much of a change mm-hmm. as it is going from empty black space to gold. Uh, but overall, it looks good other than the undisputed word. Take undisputed out instead of the black gemstones, make them crystal or diamond and I think you have a very good looking belt, but again, I still that mustard yellow gold color. It just, it, it seems fake. It's, it, it looks to me like it's a fake gold and it's, it's so it weird. It doesn't match the gold on the rest of the belt. It's so right. It does, right. Exactly. It doesn't match the gold on the rest of the belt. I do want to give a correction here. So when the red title was created and handed out, I think it was at WrestleMania 32, I want to say it was at the time, despite having the red back the WWE Women's Championship. And it didn't continue the lineage of the Divas Championship. It replaced the Divas Championship. So they ended the Divas. They then freshly started the WWE Women's Championship. A few months later, when they decided to do two women's titles, they they changed the name of it to the Raw Women's Championship, created the SmackDown Women's Championship from scratch. Now, the red title is now the gold title. And the WWE Women's Championship. So it takes back its original name. So this lineage goes all the way back to 2016 and the for April 2016. And the SmackDown Women's Championship, which is now the Women's World Championship, goes back to, I believe, September 2016. So the lineages are continuing for the respective titles, but technically they are not related to the old women's championship or the old WWE Divas Championship. So I just want to clarify that. That I, that is interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. I would I I look it's just Wikipedia. I don't know if it's official anywhere, no, it's, but it's I correct. would I would act like this continues the 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 title that ended in 2010 before it became Divas. 
Oh well, then you're but then you're, but then you're, but then you're losing, but then you're losing all the rest of the years. You know everything that just recently happened. Yeah, I, I would have, I would have just said you go from the old women's championship to the divas. To you can't. Raw, you to can't. There was a, it, that women's. was stopped. No, there was a, there was a gap there. Where where was the gap? Well, the divas championship was started until like two thousand eight or something like that. Oh yeah, you're right. Because kids it got unified. There was a whole. It was really messy. And, and don't forget, there was a long time where there was no women's championship in WWE. So they continued yeah. it. Then they ended it. They started the divas, and then everything that I just explained just happened. So. Um, it's it's been messy with the women's title. Anyway. I, I think as long as the reigns are continuing from 2016, which they are, that's the best we can ask for. And you know mm-hmm. they're they're treating all these recent winners and records like they are recent winners and records. Again, that's the most important thing. Yeah. But again, uh, I don't want to harp too much on like the design of this title. But I said all my pieces already. There are so I shouldn't have that many nitpicks with the championship. It's like if I if you have one, if it was just the word undisputed or just the color of the plate or like one individual thing, then fine. Right. But there's like three different issues and the naming of it. And it doesn't match the name of the title is it doesn't match what it says. I mean, it's just it's very, very annoying. Now, there are people who hate the entire concept of the big WWE logo. Right. I don't. And you like that. You like that, too. Yeah, we both like it. It, it's it's more of these like little nitpicks here and there that add up that are just kind of frustrating. Yeah. Again, it's just like if you look at this and you just saw another version and I tweeted it this, with the Snoop Dogg title compared to Roman's title, like there's no reason why Snoop's title should look better. And it accomplishes the same goal as Roman's. They're gold and it's saying this is special. And instead you have Snoop's looking really sharp and, and we're talking Snoop Dogg here. Um, now, granted, he he... He had that title before he made his awesome save at WrestleMania. He really deserved the title after WrestleMania when he saved that segment. But Snoop's looks great. Roman's looks meh. And the women's now looks better than Roman's does, Asuka's. Um, but the issues that we just discussed all present themselves. Now, that was not the only new championship that was awarded this week. Because on Raw, Chris, we got a similar ceremony Monday with Rhea Ripley being given the new WWE Women's World Championship. Like with the other women's title, it's an exact replica of its men's counterpart, but with a white stripe. Dominic Mysterio immediately ran down after that was announced and strapped up Ripley. And as far as I'm concerned, and I did tweet this, I would love to get your take on this entire thing, Chris. This title, the Women's World Championship, is, I would say by a decent margin, the best looking of the four new titles. I think it's incredibly striking. I put the Women's World Championship one, the Men's World Championship two, the Women's WWE Championship three, and the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship four. And it's not that I necessarily like the design of the World Championship more than the ones that we're getting on SmackDown. It's just that gold-plated back for me, for some reason, does not work on those titles. And because of that, I like the new world titles more. This new belt for Rhea, I agree. Clear number one. Clear number one best looking of the world titles that they have right now. Probably the best looking title in the company. Um, mm, number yeah. two between be. between Steth's world heavyweight or the WWE women's. It's really close for me. I think I'm just really, really loving the white leather 
I think I'm going to put Asuka's belt slightly ahead. For for some reason, the white is just hitting me okay. a lot better. Probably because probably because none of these designs are all that great. And if you put it on a normal black, it sticks out more. I think the white just lessens that mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And then the, the white lessens the black stones. It helps counteract the black stones and the W's. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Totally. So uh, I I really like this. I I think it looked great on Rhea. Rhea reacted to it in, in, in a great way and everything like that. I like that they did this raw SmackDown Women's Championship was always really, really just a weird way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. They're going back to the early 2000s when we had WWE belts and world belts. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder if we are going to get world tag team champions again. Right. At some point when they split up those titles and we fully go back to where we were in the ruthless aggression era, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You got two brands. If you're really going to split them. World versus WWE is a perfectly fine way for me to me to label them that makes them sound equal. Like if I'm the world champion, I'm the WWE champion. Like they both sound, they both sound good. They both yeah. sound equal. So I, I like that. So it, I think it's overall a positive direction for the belts or the titles, however you want to call them. We just have our nitpicks with the gold background on some of the belts, but um, Rhea's belt, I love it. To me, clear number one. Mm-hmm. I think in in the whole company, it's, I, it, I, I, I'm just I'm looking at a picture right now and like it's one of the better belts in all of pro wrestling. It is. It's really nice. I mean, my favorite title that's existed recently was the NXT UK championship. The men's in particular, the women's was also really nice. But I, I got to tell you, this women's world championship, man, it is a striking striking title for the world titles in in totality. Uh, both of the ones on Raw. The only thing I would have changed on them from a look standpoint is instead of the silver W's, I would have used like gold or rose gold. I know why they use silver. They want it to stand out. They want, if someone sees the title to know it's not a UFC mm-hmm. title, it's not an AEW title, it's not anything else. It's a WWE championship. So they use silver or white gold, whatever it is, and they're making sure the W's stand out in the middle. I'm just saying if I designed it, it would have been gold or rose gold, and it would have been a little bit more uniform with the rest of the title as opposed to sticking out. But that's literally my only nitpick. And you mentioned this. We didn't really talk about it. The naming conventions, okay? Yes, Asuka's says undisputed on the championship itself. But in terms of what WWE is calling them, Women's World Championship, World Heavyweight Championship, WWE Women's Championship, undisputed WWE Universal Championship, again, because that is two reigns simultaneously. I have zero problems with the names. That's the one thing I can say. They definitely got that right. The men's and women's titles feel on par with each other. And I love that. It's such a refreshing take on the entire thing. It's what UFC does. It it makes you feel like, okay, she's the women's champion. She is just as important to the company as her men's counterpart. And that to me is a huge step in the right direction. Yep. And you feel like you're on the same level as the, the women. It's supposed to, hey, I'm the WWE champion, the men. I'm the WWE champion or the universal champion and I'm the raw women's champion. It just, mm-hmm. it never felt right. And now they all feel like they're important. It also allows for future drafts and, and brand switches to be way easier because you're allowed to have an yep. undisputed title here and a world title here or the women's world title here and the uh, WWE championship eventually is what it'll be called back on that show. So you can mix it up and yeah. it won't matter in the future, which is freaking fantastic. That- 
that's what happened back in the Ruthless Aggression. You'd basically get all the WWE titles or all the world titles would flip kind of at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the spinner belt was on Raw. It was on SmackDown. Like you, you could flip it, you know, do a, a wholesale flip uh, with everything together and it not sounding so awkward. So yep. definitely that is definitely a big positive step. And I do want to send a quick shout to uh, Coach Lude at Jaybird5234, long-term listener, long-term follower. Every single time I tweet out anything about not liking Roman's title, like the way it looks, he comes back. I love it. And I'm like, I say to him every time, I know you like it, dude, but the vast majority of people that talk to us don't seem to. He likes it. I hope he buys it. I will not be chipping in Coach Lude for you to get one, um, but... I hope you like it so much that it eventually finds its place on your mantle or something. I do agree that in certain lights, uh, there's one picture of Roman Reigns in a stairwell holding it where it's very dark yeah. and there's kind of a light on it. It looks really good from that angle. But like, candidly, eight out of 10 times I've seen the title, whether it's a picture online or it's him holding it, a screen cap, whatever the case, just not for me. S send us, people, send us your rankings of the four belts. Yeah. I'm curious. Just on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, or at Chris Renini, at Silverstein Adam. Let us know, just kind of curious what the vibe is out there, how you would rank uh, all these new titles. Yeah, rank them one, two, three, and four. That would be really interesting uh, to find out what you all think about it. All right, Chris, that was the main event. An extended main event went a little longer than I expected on the titles. That is okay. We have plenty of show left for everyone and tons more to talk about across SmackDown and Raw this week. Let's get to it right now without any further ado. It is... The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some. Shorty. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right. After Dominic spoke and got booed in that segment with Ripley that I just mentioned. Cody Rhodes interrupted him. He put over Ripley and said Brock Lesnar did not have the balls to face him. Due to the slap last week, Cody challenged Dom for money in the bank. He didn't exactly get an answer. Miz clumsily jumped him from behind. Dom hit him and then Rhea accepted while Corey Graves talked over her. So look, uh, the segment was bad, plain and simple. Like it was disjointed, mashed together with the title ceremony, really for no good reason. I just thought it was poorly executed. So that's the grade. In terms of the booking, though, I do think it's really smart to use Dom as an in-between feud for Cody. He's been elevated with wins recently. It's kind of weird to say it, but WWE is actually giving us top babyface versus top heel from Raw on a major show. Yeah. And it's an easy win for Cody without hurting anyone else or anyone's trajectory towards a title, anything like that. It's also going to be a completely excused loss for Dom when it happens. Plus, it's kind of a sink or swim moment for Dom against a major opponent. So as you can tell, I'm a huge fan of the booking, but the segment, just not it. Well, see, I wasn't on last week to talk about the original one between these two. So it, it's kind of all blending together to me. The segment itself, it was a bit clunky. It wasn't as good as last week and, and everything like that. But Dominic continues to just get massive boos. He's probably the biggest heel on the show. And like you said, you put the biggest baby face and the biggest heel. That's Cody Rhodes and Dominic Mysterio. <laughs> like, it makes sense to do it. It's going to get a big reaction from a crowd. So uh, I like the idea, like the plan. I guess I'll just, I'll say like good, but I'm kind of encompassing two weeks of stuff mm -hmm. in my head. Um, but 
I'm I'm excited for this. And and I, I just think back, like, imagine if a couple weeks ago, after Night of Champions, like I suggested, that Dominic had answered an open challenge and fought Seth for the title. Dominic would be at an even higher level. It's like, hey, I just competed for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, now I'm fighting Cody Rhodes. Like, it could be it could be even bigger. I think if if that had happened, but overall, just like really solid stuff. Um, and just it's good. I, I I give I give it a like good. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Cody fought Miz immediately after this. Cody got busted open hard way somewhere on the back of his head before hitting a Cody cutter and crossroads for the win. That's all I got here. Cody later cut a babyface promo about remaining on his path. The match segment was good. I mean, it was a mediocre battle, nothing really special. So that's the grade. Disappointing, actually, because Miz just showed out recently against Ricochet. So I'd kind of like to see more from him here. But in opposite fashion from a moment ago, where if you remember, I just hated the segment, but liked the booking. I liked this segment, but disliked the booking. We have Cody, whose arm was broken, is broken, and he was not going to be cleared for Night of Champions. He forced the matter, wrestled with the broken arm anyway, and lost. Yet with Lesnar not accepting his rubber match challenge, rather than, I don't know, rest the arm and let it heal, he's not only wrestling at money in the bank, but in a random, worthless match on Raw. It's like that new show based on a true story on Peacock. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's entertaining, but it completely defies logic on his or WWE's part. And that bothers the shit out of me. I will add, um, I love that world famous it kicks is still a thing. <laughs> yeah. Like Miz kind of just took that from Daniel Bryan. Not kind of. It just kind of is his thing now. Yeah, he straight up stole it. Yeah. <laughs> and but like it's he still does it. And mm -hmm. it's like we almost we associated that with him as much, <laughs> if not more than Daniel Bryan now. So I just I love that that's still happening. Um, also, uh, Cody won with a single crossroads, well, which is something I said needs to happen. Sure. And it did. So good. Okay. Uh, before I forget and we move too far away from Rhea Ripley, there was a superb video package that WWE did on her like randomly in hour three. I tweeted it so you can yes. go watch it because it's heavily visual. So I'm not going to describe it or anything. But Chris, this specifically reminded me of the one that WWE produced for Bianca Belair around when she debuted and we started the show. If you remember, they aired it twice. It ended with like a logo of her that flashed multiple colors. There was a rap track behind it. I think it was the track they actually used as the theme song on Raw for about a year. But that got a huge response from Bianca Belair back in the day. This one to me was like equal to it for Ripley. I thought it was awesome. It painted her in a great light. She looked like a total badass and i kind of just want them to like play it again next week i i could watch it every week i loved it and it was the exact type of thing i wanted oscar to get as well mm -hmm. like before you give her the belt or something like that like you were hey we're reminding you rhea ripley's a big deal she hasn't you know been in great storylines or all these matches i know we associate her i know you associate her with dominic mysterio but like we're gonna remind you that she's a killer and that's exactly what that did and i loved it and that's the exact kind of thing uh, that we should have gotten for Asuka before she got her belt as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Finn Balor opened hour three of Raw, calling out Seth Rollins for a serious confrontation without any bullshit. The crowd, however, 
decided they were all about the bullshit. They refused to stop chanting. So Balor tried ranting over them going back seven years ago about beating Roman Reigns on his first night and then beating Rollins for the first universal title. It went so long, the chanting with the crowd, that Rollins eventually spoke as a means of like getting them to stop, only for them to immediately start again once Balor spoke. This kept happening as Balor tried powering through. He talked about the injury that Rollins caused with the buckle bomb, stealing the title from him, his momentum, and the fact that that injury took a year off his career. Balor said he was focused on doing all of it back to Rollins, taking a year off his career, taking the title from him, etc. Rollins shot back that he's been waiting to see this kind of fire out of Balor for the last seven years. He said Balor got bitter from that showdown while Rollins got better. He talked about rolling with the punches and becoming the best version of himself today before officially accepting the challenge for Money in the Bank. Rollins then asked, which version of Balor am I going to get the shell of a champion acting like a little bitch or the one who beat me seven years ago? Now, the crowd, as you can tell, completely hijacked this segment. And it definitely took a while for them to find a groove because of that. And while it was fun for a bit, admittedly, and I credit the crowd and the fans for getting that up for Seth, he is over like Rover. That's a great thing. When you're in a wrestling crowd, you need to know when enough is enough and it's time to quiet down and let the professionals speak. Your job is to help the wrestlers get over, not get yourself over. The guys battled through it and they delivered still a pretty strong confrontation, but I just feel like it would have been so much hotter and so much more intense if we could have heard and felt it the way they planned to deliver it. Balor did struggle and Rollins did try to help, but he kind of only gave a half-assed attempt to quiet the crowd down. He could have said like, I want to hear what this guy has to say. And then they would have shut up. He didn't do that. He should have done a better job in the moment. It's still an easy good and it's the right match for Money in the Bank. I just think it actually could have been great with real intensity calling back to their extended shared history if they were allowed to execute it as planned. So for that reason, it was disappointing, but still an obvious good, and I still liked what we got despite the crowd. See, this is fascinating, that this whole segment and like how we talk about it, Mm -hmm. because I'm, you're right. This was clearly supposed to be Finn's big emotional promo. All this pent up frustration from seven years and what you did to me. And I'm going to deliver all the lines here that we're going to put in the video package before the match. Like this is, this was the, this was supposed to be the big Finn promo and it didn't happen. And we we can say, oh, he, they eventually got to it. They said some things. The only thing people are going to remember from this was that the crowd was singing for two thirds of it. And I'm someone who has said, I don't know if Seth is over. I think just the song is over. But when you see it play out like that, it doesn't matter anymore. It's like the yes chant. Was it was the yes chant over or was Daniel Bryan over? Well, eventually they were just the same thing. And last night, Seth reached that point for me where I can say, yeah, he is over. Mm -hmm. And yes, a big part of it is because of the song. But that's all together now. And I wouldn't. The thing is, like, we haven't really had WWE crowds hijack a show or a segment in a very long time. A lot of those smart fans either don't watch WWE anymore or just they've moved on to AEW. You don't really get that anymore. You don't get chance about real life things or, or UF'd up or this type of stuff. They 
quote unquote hijacked the segment, but they only but they did it in the way WWE wants them to, mm. which is singing the song that WWE's trying to get over by right. having an orchestra play it at WrestleMania. Right, right. Like they they like they did it in that type of way. So in that sense, like it worked. And if the crowd is going to do that and they're not going into their business with beach balls or taking away from the segment, they're in the moment. They're in this, they're in this Seth Rollins moment doing the Seth Rollins thing. And Finn couldn't get through that. And so ultimately I'm not going to fault the crowd. It did get annoying, but like if you were there, I'm sure it felt really cool. Oh yeah. And you did it within the, and you, and you did it within the context of the WWE universe that added to the story that added to Seth's character to have a crowd, just sing a song for an entire segment while someone's trying to cut a promo. So ultimately, like, I think it was a net positive for Seth in a big way. And Finn couldn't get through it. Finn, he almost did get through it. He started to talk and the crowd was starting to peter out. And then he makes a comment that he's mad about the crowd singing. And then they brought it back again. That was his big mistake in that mm. promo because he was powering through it and he almost got there. And then he commented about the singing and it brought it all back again. So I'm wondering if next week they'll just kind of run this back in some form where they have set a Finn deliver his big emotional promo, maybe in a different way. And you kind of get the words the way you want them because there is a good story there. I'm I just, I didn't remember any of it. No one's going to remember any of it. We're only going to remember the crowd. So, you know, it was just, it was a really fascinating segment for a lot of different reasons. And the type of thing we haven't gotten from WWE like that in that context in a very long time. Yeah. I don't want it to sound like I'm being a party pooper necessarily. I mean, when the crowd gets on Dom and just boos him out of the building and he powers through it, you know, mm -hmm. you're talking about a lower, a mid card type of situation. And it normally happens in a segment where the mic is being passed around between all of the Judgment Day members. So it stops and you're able to continue with what you're doing. But there is something to be said for the responsibility of a crowd and allowing the show to go on. I mean, imagine if you were at a broad, I know wrestling is not Broadway. I'm just, it's probably a bad example that I'm about to give. And something great happens, right? And people laugh or cheer, but they never stop. So therefore the, the actors can't actually continue with the next scene because the crowd is still making noise. It's great that everyone was so enthusiastic about Seth. I think that's a massive positive for him. And you know what? It's actually a positive in some ways for Balor too, because he's getting a reaction being that opponent mm -hmm. for Seth. But the purpose of this segment was to get Balor over again as a main eventer and reestablish him as someone who Rollins fears, he respects, and needs to be kind of put into this zone. And while I think some of that was accomplished, it was probably accomplished 33% of what I think was possible based on what they planned to say to each other and how the segment was planned out to go. And because of that, I mean, look, how long have we been talking? It's been years now where we've been saying, man, what are they doing with Balor? They really need to elevate him into a main eventer again. He should be an upper mid Carter main eventer who can win the title and probably should be a world champion at some point sooner than later. And this is the opportunity for that to happen. And instead of going crazy and going crazy for multiple minutes beyond what WWE expected, it wasn't just two minutes or three minutes of them chanting. It was eight or nine or 10. And so at long. some, so long. and at some point, 
All I'm saying, I'm not saying not don't have fun. I'm not saying maybe to some degree, don't try to get yourself over if you're the fans. I'm not saying for some portion of it, don't support your guy. If you want to have fun and extend that two or three or four minutes, have at it. But at some point, once Seth spoke up and basically said, I want to, you know, he didn't say, I want to hear what he's going to say, but he said something equivalent to that. Then at that point, you let the other guy talk. And then maybe a little bit later in the segment, you go back to the chanting, but they never stopped. They never gave Balor an opportunity. And he's not someone that is getting like X-Pac heat. He's not someone that fans don't want to be in the segment. They want him there. They want him challenging for the title. If it was like Jinder Mahal, right? Or if it was frustratingly someone who's always in the title picture that they're sick, if it was the Miz going against Rollins, have at it. Go crazy, you know, chant Miz out of the building. It's not. It's a guy you as fans, the people in that building, the people watching at home, want in this spot, then you got to let him take it. Now, you could say, yeah, Silver King, sure. Balor should have taken control of the situation. He's a professional. He's 40 years old. He's been doing this for years. He should know how to handle that. And I think there's something to be said for that. Balor should have done a better job. Rollins should have done a better job. But the crowd also should have done a better job. Uh, I, my last point of this, I'll just say, is that, you know, you know, WWE likes to say, wrestling likes to say, hey, like we have live focus groups. The crowd reacts and we're supposed to react to that. Now, WWE doesn't always do that, but it's <laughs> true. And if the crowd right. goes in, if the crowd goes in a certain way and they go in a certain way, kind of within what you're presenting to them, which is which is why I think this was different, then you you got to just deal with it. I'm putting Finn had to just get through that and he kind of didn't and kind of didn't. And ultimately, I'm not putting a I'm not putting a ton on the crowd because, again, they're doing it within kind of what WWE wants them to do, like booing Dominic, like this other stuff. They would they didn't hijack the show. They just went overboard on it within a certain part of right. the show. Right. And if that's going to happen, like we you know, we talked about bad crowds, bad towns, how things have gotten a lot better since Triple H took over, like WWE has its ideal crowds now it doesn't have crowds full of smart fans it has fans who go along with the rides react to a lot of things that they wouldn't have otherwise because they've they've both kind of conditioned their fans but also gotten into a place under triple h where the fans trust what they're going to do and so if the crowd's going to do a wwe thing like that for so long then like you got to figure it out and seth should have done could have done a better job finn could have done a better job Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I'm just not going to put that much on. It was annoying to me. I wanted to hear Finn talk. That's like, all I'm I, saying. I totally am with you on that. But but I think in this context, um, it was just a unique situation and not, something that WWE in that way kind of had never had before. Uh, where again, it's kind of within the universe. And so I'm very, very curious what they do next week. Again, if they try to give Finn another chance to kind of get that point. Also, I really like the end of this where Seth says, are you going to, are you going to be the old Finn or are you going to be a little bitch? Haha. Mm-hmm. And then boom, his music hits immediately. It was a great way to close it out. Cause sometimes you deliver a line and then there's a couple seconds yes. and then your yes. music hits. They nailed the music right when he stopped talking. And I just thought it ended very well because of that little they, thing, but I thought it was great. They did a literal mic drop moment, which was very cool. And you're yes. right. There's so many occasions where someone does that and you want that exclamation point at the end. But then it's like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, like, like you wait three, four or five seconds and then someone finally hits the button and you're like, eh, that didn't really, 
nail it as much as it could have. Here, they absolutely nailed it. And yes, his line was great. The way it wrapped up was great. And the other point that you made really quick is you are correct. The crowd response here was a direct consequence that perhaps was unforeseen of WWE trying so hard to put the song over. The song was already over. Yeah. Now they stop the music and Seth stands in the ring with his arms out so they can chant it. He even says, sing my song, which I hate because you shouldn't have to tell the crowd to chant for you, right? It's like Jericho's going out there saying, sing Judas, you know, right before he comes out. Um, so it's a what we got Monday was a consequence of WWE going overboard with the song. The fans responded by going overboard with the song. In terms of next week and going forward, just since you mentioned it, I have to imagine they're probably going to do like a sit down interview segment pre-taped so that this doesn't happen or Balor in the ring by himself cutting a promo before Rollins comes out. They're going to try to mitigate it, I have to assume, because now that crowds have seen it, they're going to want to replicate it. So the question for WWE is, how do you make sure that you still get that response from the crowd? You don't want to tell them we don't want you to do it. We just want you to compartmentalize it and do it for short windows, not hijack an entire segment with it. Now, more happened on Raw. Later backstage, Rollins declared an open challenge for the World Heavyweight Championship uh, next week. It's in Cleveland, Raw is. So if I had to guess, it's Johnny Gargano coming back. It's going to reestablish him. The match will tear down the house and Rollins can get a win over someone who obviously does not need to beat the champion right now. What was odd, Chris, and you were at NXT last week in Orlando, so you can speak to this, is... Rollins never addressed on air Braun Breaker's challenge from NXT, which to me made absolutely no sense whatsoever because promoting NXT on Raw when the programs are on the same channel one night apart should have been the exact purpose of doing the storyline in the first place. Now, they did air a video preview for NXT, but Chris, it was confounding to me that there was nothing from Rollins mentioning Breaker by name saying he'd have an answer for him Tuesday or anything like that. Very surprising. And they did show it, I think, a commercial. Yeah, video. Raw that that, that Braun challenged him. So I guess we'll get it Tuesday because like like I mentioned, um, when I was down there in NXT talking to people, at least then the expectation was that Seth was going to be in NXT on Tuesday. I think he will be. Depending on when you listen. Depending on when you listen to this, you know, whatever. But it sounded like at the time that they thought he was going to work a match, but he didn't accept yesterday. So I can't imagine they would just surprise you with a Seth Braun match without hyping it up on Raw. So, yeah, very surprising. So maybe they're pushing this back to a special event down the road if something's coming up or whatever. But uh, I, you're right. I was very surprised. You, you, you don't want to put the idea, oh, Seth fighting Braun, but. Seth's also talking about Finn, so obviously he's going to beat Braun. Mm-hmm. I get that, but like, you want to promote NXT. If you're going to have Seth Rollins on NXT, just say, hey, Braun Breaker challenged me. I'll see you Tuesday on NXT. Now, as for you, Finn, blah, 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 blah. Like, there was no promoting from Seth for NXT, which was, like you said, very surprising. And, and maybe what we get on NXT, uh, I say tonight because t- we tape this on Tuesday, maybe what we get is just a taped message from Rollins answering Breaker. So he Rollins can say, I will have an answer for you tomorrow. You'll hear from me tomorrow or something like that. Like there's so many ways you could do it. But again, to not have the champion who got called out in the main event segment last week, talk about it at all on Raw, especially when on SmackDown this past Friday, we had NXT talent 
on the show on purpose to tell a storyline for NXT. Why you would not do it on Raw to me was just totally nonsensical. Now we'll see what happens on NXT. We'll discuss it on our upcoming show this week. But yeah, I was very surprised that this went down the way it did. And now we'll get back to Balor a little bit later. One quick thought before we move on. I think we can both agree, or we did at the time at least, that the demon character was officially killed for good, like it should have been killed at least, losing to Edge inside Hell in a Cell, a match that Balor clearly should have won. But given the demon always showed up for matches of this caliber when it comes to the quote-unquote old Finn Balor, I keep wondering if they're planning to use it again and they're going to beat the demon again against Rollins. It would be immensely frustrating. I just wanted to get your quick Twitch uh, take on that. I thought that because when Seth was like, which one of you is going to show up? I thought he was going to say the demon, mm-hmm. um, but he didn't. So I, I I don't think, you know, it's very possible he doesn't. But you're right. In these shows, I think about the Jack the Ripper look that he had back in the day in NXT. That was a show in England, I believe. Right. In the NXT show there. And, and yes, so it was. Yes. I hope you know, he's not going to win. So I hope not. Because then that's just another loss on the demon. <laughs> the demon has lost two in a row, I think. What, the Roman Reigns turnbuckle and then Edge Hell and Cell, I think, are the last two demon matches. So I don't want the demon because we know he's going to lose, but it's possible. Okay, moving on. Becky Lynch had a fun walk to the ring, talking with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, and then walking by Otis, who was showing Maxine Dupree some moves on Chad Gable. She talked about never winning Money in the Bank and how the winner of the briefcase immediately becomes the most powerful woman in the company. Becky said Trish Stratus recruiting Zoe Stark was proof that Trish lost the match mentally before it even began. Zoe interrupted talking shit. Lynch put over Stark as an in-ring talent, but said she had no personality. Zoe shot back that getting her nose broken is what made Becky popular, so she would break it and make her even more famous. Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville then interrupted, walked past Zoe, and did a brief promo that Becky stopped just to get to their match. I'll tell you this, as someone who has seen Every single promo that Zoe Stark has cut in NXT and WWE, this was better than all of them. I'm not saying it was great by any means, but she was competent on the mic. The back and forth helped legitimize her, especially because Trish wasn't there. Not the smoothest segment, but I thought it accomplished its goal and I gave it a good. I liked it. She got some real heat, some real booze at mm-hmm. the beginning of that, which which without Trish being there, you know, Zoe's getting them. That's good. That's the point of doing this. Mm-hmm. I thought the promo was good as well. Accomplished what it needed to. I like the interaction with Chelsea, kind of, uh, hey, Becky's already got a match and kind of got the heels being like, what are you doing here? Like that little bit too. So this was good. And then we got Becky against Chelsea. Lynch countered into Disarmor to get the submission win in eight minutes. Half of that was during commercial, but hey, at least they got time and Green benefited from it. Also, we got to see Lynch use the submission finisher, which has not happened in a long time. She's been so focused on manhandle slam. Disarm her, hate to say it, is the superior move. You could feel the crowd boo Chelsea more and more as the match went on. Beck's got a lot of good baby face love as well. Kind of a default good. I just liked what we got. Yeah, simple stuff. Accomplished what it needed to. It's a women's storyline that's been pretty good. It doesn't have a title. You're featuring new people. Match was, was, was good. All right. We had three men's Money in the Bank qualifiers. The first was Santos Escobar against Mustafa Ali on SmackDown. LA Knight entered before the bell to a big pop before going on commentary. Escobar took Ali off the steel steps with a hurricanrana from the apron, following with the tope suicida and plancha outside. Ali landed on his feet doing a full flip off the top rope outside. 
with Escobar eating a dropkick when he dove after him for a holy shit mute from Fox. Ali then took a header into the middle turnbuckle and ate a poison Rana. Escobar finally finished Ali with an avalanche phantom driver to get the win in eight minutes. The LWO came out to celebrate uh, both he and Zelina Vega officially being in the briefcase matches. This was just an outstanding battle. And if memory serves, I think it was the best qualifier to date, a mini banger at 3.75 stars and a B plus for a sprint match. They had four qualifiers set for SmackDown. So I understood the short runtime in a vacuum, but I got to tell you, I was left wanting another four to six minutes of this match because it felt like these guys were just getting started when it finished up. Most surprising was Ali being protected with a super finisher when he's not even on SmackDown. The right person won, of course. Escobar needed to be in this match to continue building his profile. And this was obviously good. You rub me just right every week. We also got uh, LA Knight on commentary for that, who was pretty good. But mostly I thought it was pretty funny because Michael Cole and Wade Barrett kept calling him Mr. Knight, (laughs) (laughs) which which was just funny to hear. Um, Yeah, banger of a match for sure. Uh, We had Butch against Baron Corbin in the second qualifier on SmackDown, NXT champion Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, with whom Corbin is feuding in NXT. They were in the crowd as special guests. Corbin distracted himself talking shit to Melo two minutes into the match. Butch caught him seconds later with an armbar, where he also hooked the leg for a 1-2-3 pinning combination and the qualification. Angry after the bell, Corbin took a shot at Trick and ate one back from Mello before they were all separated. And there was actually, to my somewhat shock, Chris, an NXT chant in the crowd after this was over. Butch later got them pumped that he was going to win the briefcase in the United Kingdom, them, of course, being the brawling brutes. Corbin tried to interrupt, only to get blindsided by Cameron Grimes. Now, Butch was the obvious and predictable winner here because Corbin's a free agent and working in NXT. This goes back to what I was saying last week. Ali and Corbin really should not have been the other two guys in these matches. Given Butch almost never wrestles singles these days, it would have been great to actually let him get over in a real match, but there was so much storytelling involved in this, including NXT being featured on the main roster, Grimes paying off his comment from a couple weeks ago that I will give the time in the match a pass in this qualifier, and I'll give it a good. Yeah, this wasn't about the match. It was about everything else. Uh, uh, I didn't hate it, but it was it was a very odd match for a Money in the Bank qualifier. I'm going to say bad because of that, because like neither of these guys really technically deserve to be in the spot, especially Corbin. Mm-hmm. And and I liked I liked the Corbin mellow stuff going on in NXT. So tying that in together here was fine. Like I, I liked some of the things that they did, but the match itself, yeah, I give it a bad. Fair enough. Uh, Matt Riddle fought Damian Priest in the final men's qualifier. This was on Raw. Balor was quiet and contemplative backstage while Rhea, Dom, and Priest all talked shit about various topics. Priest remarked that he was going to the ring alone for the qualifier, which kind of earned a scowl and a side eye from Balor. Riddle hit all the signatures plus a springboard floating bro outside. Priest had a great like shaky knees sell on a pump knee that led him to coming back with Broken Arrow. Then he hit an awesome top rope draping headline driver. Riddle flipped out of an attempted avalanche razor's edge, then jumped back onto the top rope for a fisherman's superplex. Priest avoided floating bro, then caught Riddle trying a springboard version, grabbing his arms while he was on the ropes, his feet were on the ropes still, for a high lift razor's edge off the middle rope 
to get the win in 14 minutes. Undoubtedly the right winner and a necessary big guy in the Money in the Bank match. This was also a banger. I'm going four stars and an A minus, exactly what you want from a qualifying match and a hell of a look for Riddle, even in a loss. I said Escobar and Ali might have been the best qualifier. Well, maybe it was at the time, but this wound up being the best qualifier at this point. And clearly, folks, this was good. This is the complete opposite of Butch versus Corbin. <laughs> Two big name guys, got time, great match, felt like a big deal. Guys who deserve to be in the qualifier and you get a deserved winner. Uh, definitely a good and good good for Damian Priest. You know, he 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 got the backlash moment. He, he but he lost to Bad Bunny. So like, how do you square with that? Well, you know, then he loses the tag team match the next day. Then he loses his title shot against Seth. So like, you don't want to give him too many losses. Giving him a win against Riddle to put him in Money in the Bank, a good step back in the right direction, definitely a good. They clearly believe in Priest, and it's just great to see them kind of pushing him in this way. Uh, Gunther and Ludwig Kaiser methodically attacked Riddle after the bell here, clearly setting up an intercontinental title feud that we've been theorizing would come sooner than later. We'll talk more about that momentarily because there's more from the Imperium guys later in Raw. Uh, Balor backstage, Chris, was shown giving advice to J.D. McDonough, who pointed out that Priest was coming behind him. So he thanked Balor for the advice and suggested that Balor take some of it on his own. Balor congratulated Priest on winning the qualifier. Priest sarcastically said Balor was clearly in a better mood now that he has a title match. Balor asked Priest if he'd cash in if he happened to win Money in the Bank and he happened to win the title. Priest said, of course I won't, but he wanted Balor to keep his word to him in the future, get out of his own head and beat Rollins for good at Money in the Bank. Now, if they're going to break Priest from Judgment Day, at least it appears like it's going to be a slower burn. It was a relief to see them kind of go back to the Balor-McDonough stuff, which was really frustratingly start and stop to this point over the last few weeks. The Dolph Ziggler match that barely happened was extremely weird. And having Balor and Priest address their issues head on versus allowing it to like stew and fester, that's reality-based booking versus the bullshit where guys in a faction are at odds for months and never address it, and then it completely blows up on them. So I really like the storytelling aspect for everything that we got here, and I'm kind of sneaking in an extra good. Yeah, no, I, I didn't really have a ton to say on it otherwise, but uh, it, it was good. And it's kind of, it's it's not dissension. It's just like, let's have some let's have some conversations here. What, what exactly is going on? So slow play some stuff. Maybe stuff happens, maybe it doesn't. And it keeps you guessing. So that's a good. Uh, Ricochet fought Bronson Reed. Shinsuke Nakamura walked down after a minute. There was a great spot where Reed draped Rick over the top rope and flung him like shockingly high in the air. Ricochet got a bunch of offense only to get caught on a moonsault outside and launched like a lawn dart into Shinsuke, who was sitting on a chair. That led to Nakamura kicking Reed off the apron for a disqualification. The faces argued after the bell, with Bronson running them into each other. Rick saved Shin from Tsunami, and they double-teamed Reed for a thunderous two-man superplex to end like the segment. Unlike Fox, USA Network has somehow figured out how to spot mute the word shit rather than mute the entire broadcast for 30 seconds, because heaven forbid mm -hmm. anyone hear the word shit after 9 p.m. on cable television. Still stupid, but better. Uh, Ricochet later complained to Pierce wanting a rematch next week. He was denied because Nakamura already has a scheduled match with Reed next week. Ricochet got in Shinsuke's face, saying one more issue like this, and they'll have problems together. Now, the DQs are frustrating, 
but it's clear they're building a storyline to do a triple threat in two weeks leading into Money in the Bank. So I assume we're gonna get another DQ or a similar finish next week. And given we don't have the consistent preponderance of DQ finishes in WWE anymore, I'm fine with it in this kind of silo. By the way, silo, great new show on Apple TV+. Plus. But it is. It is fantastic. Um, but I'm okay with the DQs in this silo because we're not getting it throughout the entire show. And I like the story they're telling, kind of creating dissension between two baby faces that are going to be in a big Money in the Bank match, using Reed as the catalyst for it. This was good. Yeah, if you're going to do a DQ like that, don't have it be a DQ that gets Bronson Reed into the Money in the Bank match, like a, a consequential disqualification. This is not a consequential disqualification. Those are fine. So, yeah, you know, at, at first I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Why did Shinsuke just do that? Well, no, I guess it makes sense. And, you know, not much was on the line and everything like that. So it made sense. Also, when they did the two-man suplex of Bronson Reed, they almost didn't get him up for the yeah, suplex. It was they close. turned it quick enough in midair. It was close. So thank God everybody was okay with that. Um, yeah, I give it a, a like good. Like you said, building a Ricochet Shinsuke storyline kind of separate from Money in the Bank makes it interesting. So when we see the two of them together in the Money in the Bank, it's like, oh, they've got a thing going on too, not just, hey, we're all here for one thing. So I like that. Good. Uh, just to wrap it up, because now the men's Money in the Bank match is officially set. It's Ricochet, Nakamura, Priest, LA Knight, Butch, and Santos Escobar. What I love about this group, Chris, is it's all mid-carters and upper mid-carters. For years now, Chris, on this podcast and others, I've been reiterating how Money in the Bank should be used to elevate talent. Now, we'll make our picks on the Ultimate Preview, you know, basically three weeks from now or two more WWE shows from now. But it is apparent to me that the talent in this match fits that parameter that I've been talking about. And I do think that this has a chance to be the best Money in the Bank ladder match in a while. 2021, I do remember being great, but I think this one might even be able to surpass it. We'll talk about the women next week because it's not finalized yet. But real quick, again, Ricochet, Nakamura, Priest, LA Knight, Butch, Santos Escobar. Are you a fan of the six men in this match? Yeah, sort of. I don't really care for Butch being in it. Nakamura in a ladder match is kind of weird. It, to me, you need a mix of mid-card guys, but also top-card guys. It feels like I look at this, and to me, without a doubt, the biggest star in this match is LA Knight. And he is going to have the crowd behind him, I think, in this. So uh, that's a good thing because we like LA Knight. But um, yeah, also I'll say like, I don't know, like who's going to win? I feel like it's it's almost got to be LA Knight or Damian Priest, maybe. I don't I don't think I don't think Ricochet or Nakamura or Butch or Escobar have a chance. So I'm already kind of down to two, maybe one guys as to who's going to win it. Well, I mean, we'll do our process of elimination when we get to the ultimate preview. I think there's two off the top that you can eliminate, but everyone else, I think, has a puncher's chance. What's interesting is WWE is actually doing a really good job utilizing their main event and upper, upper mid-card talent, which is really, you know, by default, leaving this match to the way it was initially meant to be, which again is mm -hmm. these upper mid-carders and mid-carders that you want to elevate. But you have Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens as tag team champions. You have Finn Balor and Seth Rollins in one feud. You have Roman Reigns, of course, working with the entire bloodline. Bobby Lashley's not back on TV. Edge isn't back on TV. So, you know, Brock Lesnar eventually is going to come back and fight Cody, you know, so they're not using him. So they're really doing a good job of like utilizing their entire roster. 
and not putting people in this match that don't need to be in there. For example, Gunther or Austin Theory, like people who are already champions who never should be in a Money in the Bank match. They're not relying on that this year like they did in the past. So I just, I really like the way it's been built. And you're right. You can say, well, Butch really doesn't have a reason to be in there. That's really the only major outlier. I think everyone else in this match has a reason to be there. And if I was replacing Butch, really the only person I would replace him with would be like Montez Ford. And that's it. Again, Johnny Gargano, not there. Bronson Reed got beat and Raw is very full. It's tough to argue with the people that are coming to represent them, uh, represent Raw. So really Ford is the only one that I would say, yeah, you know what? Montez Ford should probably be in over Butch, but that's a minor, minor gripe. Uh, we got a lot left. Let's keep going here. Uh, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, speaking of them, were backstage commiserating on SmackDown about their tag team titles when Pretty Deadly took shots at their looks, followed by the Brawling Brutes, OC, LWO, and Street Profits all coming in and also arguing about wanting a title shot. So Adam Pierce tried to get between everyone before Owens completely lost his mind again. So Pierce then set a gauntlet match to determine number one contenders. It's been a decent while since we've gotten a gauntlet match, so I'm definitely down for it. KO was once again hysterical. I have to assume Pretty Deadly takes this so the Brits get a title match in London. My biggest takeaway is that Cruz del Toro was wearing a third version of the LWO shirt that was green, blue, white, and red, which made zero sense to me. But other than his shirt, this was good. I also noticed that shirt. Um, It was fine. It was good. Looking forward to the gauntlet match, but it would end up being a letdown because I saw Sammy KO and then Pretty Deadly, and I was like, oh man, this will be fun. Like, they could do that. Like these two teams together could be a lot of fun, just a segment or whatever, but we didn't get much interaction before everybody else jumped in. I was like, Oh, I kind of wanted to see more of that. So if it is pretty deadly who win and get the title shot, um, that would be great. I would very much look forward to that. I think there's a lot of potential with pretty deadly. I like what they've done so far. They've been slow with them, not like going overboard with them, but I think there's a lot of potential in putting them in front of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn could be a lot of fun. Uh, KO and Sammy backstage at Raw were excited for payback against Imperium in a non-title match. Kaiser talked shit. Zayn pointed out Riddle took out Baldy last week, which hysterically led Adam Pierce over thinking that he was being called. Uh, Kaiser immediately attempted to turn the match into a title challenge, which set Owens off again and led to Zayn getting all up in Gunther's grill. Sammy later called out KO for his recent hairline trigger. Owens admitted the bloodline got to him and then went on a massive rant about everyone giving them shit recently. Zayn calmed him down, then reassured himself that everything would be okay. Now, it's hardly a surprise that KO and Sammy are funny, but it's great to see them having fun and being themselves on TV as opposed to like the seriousness that we got of the Bloodline story for all those months. If WWE is planning to split the titles down the line, Owen Short Fuse being used as a device to excuse a loss somehow would make a lot of sense. This just remains completely enjoyable, and it's a delight to see them every week. I loved this segment. It was good. Yep, totally agree. Uh, the tag team title match ended up being the main event, KO and Sammy against Gunther and Ludwig Kaiser. Owens went on a hot tag run with Gunther, including a swanton bomb. Then Zayn got one with an exploder to Kaiser before avoiding Gunther, who chopped the ring post in a really gnarly spot. The heels combined for a powerbomb European uppercut and massive lariat on Sammy, of course, that came from Gunther, for a 2.9 false finish. This happened as Kaiser hit KO with a tope suicida. His foot kind of caught the bottom rope. He almost hurt himself. The heels then hit the Imperial Bomb, with KO using Gunther to break the fall. 
Riddle charged down with agents trying to stop him, only to eat a huge boot from Gunther. Owens then DDT'd Gunther on the metal part of the ramp, taking him out of the finish. He did that as Sammy caught Ludwig with Blue Thunderbomb to retain the titles. There's really not much more that you could want here. It was a straight banger title match, smart finish to protect Gunther and set up the Intercontinental feud with Riddle. All four guys look good. Kaiser, you could actually argue, may have been the MVP. Four stars, A minus. A good look for WWE going head to head with the Nuggets winning the NBA championship, putting this on last. And also, Sammy won with a blue thunderbomb. When the hell is the last time that happened? I love when wrestlers win without hitting their finisher. Obvious good in every conceivable way. You beat me to it. That was going to be my first point, that he actually won with the Blue Thunder Bomb. He's actually done it, I want to say, like a couple of times over the last year or so to the point where like you, to, to where, yeah, you feel like it can win a match. That's the whole point of it. I can't believe they ended a raw main event championship match with it, but I'm cool with it. Um, like you said, like, look, they were going to lose this match so that you go in with kind of expectations on that front you're going up against the nuggets right as they're winning the championship so like i get it you don't want to put in you want to feels like a big deal tag team title match intercontinental title is uh champion is involved but it's not really anything so like it made sense it was fine match was really exciting good stuff don't really have much other to say just because it was yeah inconsequential in the end but it was good so let's move to the women's Money in the Bank qualifiers. Uh, both happened on SmackDown. We had Meechin against Bailey. AJ Styles sat on commentary with Meechin off to a hot start. Bailey drove her into the turnbuckles by her hair and hit Rose Plant to get the win in like three minutes and 30 seconds. Scarlett then appeared at ringside and blew red dust in Styles' face before Karrion Cross locked him in cross jacket over the barricade behind commentary. Cole later called the powder Scarlett's fever before Meechin promised retribution for the OC backstage. Now the post-match attack on Styles, I thought was great. It was just really cool, well-executed to set up another mixed tag team match before I assume we get Styles and Cross one-on-one again. But this was another women's qualifying match in under four minutes. And this had two completely experienced and capable women in the ring, two of the stronger workers in the division. It's just absolutely pathetic timing. And I'm not going to give a three minute 30 women's qualifying match for something like Money in the Bank, anything other than bad. This is for crap. Yep, I agree. There's not much to say on the match itself other than bad because of that. And ultimately, it was overshadowed by the AJ stuff. So yeah, it, it, it didn't get a lot of time and it didn't get a lot of uh, notoriety either. Uh, so Shotzi fought EO Sky in the other qualifier. Shotzi avoided a flying senton, hitting a hooking German suplex, cannonball, and great tope suicida. Bailey distracted on the ropes twice, the second time leading to Shotzi, hitting the back of her head on the top turnbuckle. EO followed with the, over the moonsault for the win. Yes, in three minutes. Shotzi getting most of the offense before getting cheated out of the win made this more palatable for me than the prior qualifier. But still. The women getting six total minutes of wrestling in two qualifiers on SmackDown, that should be the time per match at a minimum. You're looking at, it should be 16 minutes on the show, not six. And again, that's a minimum. It's fucking pathetic. It gets a bad for that reason, even though, again, we got the right winner here with EO going over. This is bullshit, man. Yeah, no, I agree. Again, there's not much to totally say about it. Match was okay and good winner, but just, again, not a lot of time. Same thing. 
Also, it did look like that turnbuckle shot on Shotzi uh, legitimately hurt her, possibly a concussion. I hope she's okay. They didn't really say anything, but I did want to point that out. On SmackDown, Unholy Union was introduced with a much improved entrance from their debut, including Smoke, though they did not use the tag team name this time. Before they could speak, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler barged in, with Baszler taking credit for the NXT tag team titles even existing, and Rousey angry that there was another set of women's champions. The union suggested a unification match and attacked, ultimately taking down the horsewomen and standing tall in the ring. Now, this is the right booking, and we've been reporting it on our subscriber page, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over for weeks now, in case you're not a member yet. Um, but it, it was still an extremely rough segment. After a couple of weeks of acceptable promos, Rousey was the absolute shits here, and the story is really rushed, all coming together way, way too quickly after being delayed. It almost seemed like Isla Dawn had to pick up some of the slack for Ronda's promo. Plus, the way they did it made it even more blatantly obvious than it already was that Rousey and Baszler will take the titles. So again, the booking is right since two sets of women's tag team titles just does not make sense. But the segment was actually bad and you could hear a pin drop with legitimately zero reaction from the crowd because the entire thing was convoluted and they don't really know who Alba Fire and Isla Dawn are at all. I'm bored, brother. Yeah, I don't know who they are at all either. Part of that's because I was in and out the last couple weeks, but I was looking forward to, oh, they're up here. They're going to give us a promo. They're going to tell us their story, what they want to do. All right, cool. Let's do it. And then open your mouth and here come Ron and Shane. I was like, I, I don't need to take this seriously. There is no chance uh, whatsoever that like I have a reason to be interested in this because this, they're just there to lose the titles. And that is uh, unfortunate. L- let me say this. As someone who doesn't watch NXT every week, why is this obvious to you that they need to unify these titles and not have the NXT women's title tag titles on NXT? Because there was no reason for the second set of women's titles to ever be created. When they were initially brought into WWE, the concept behind them was that they would be defended across all three brands. So the women's tag team champions could be on Raw, SmackDown, NXT. But at some point, Vince McMahon just decided, we're not going to do that. I think it was during the pandemic. He said, no, they're not going to go in NXT. And, And you know what? It may have been partially because they were trying not to mix talent due to COVID. And they, you know, NXT protocols were different than main roster protocols. It was kind Mm -hmm. of a messy situation. So then NXT, which was still run by Triple H, I think at the time, if memory serves, decided to create the NXT women's tag team titles. But they never really served much of a purpose. What NXT actually needs is not a women's tag team title. They need a women's mid-card title. So now that they're going to merge these and, and go back to the original plan behind them, the idea should be, that the women's tag team champions can move between all three brands. So yes, you can still have women's tag teams in NXT and they can still fight and develop and, and face the champions and all that, but you don't need two sets of titles in order to accomplish that. The other issue with it is there's not enough women on the main roster to have a set of titles where you always need to have a storyline on the main roster. That's the same idea behind, well, if they go down and they're on NXT for two weeks, they set up a storyline and they have a match the next week. You're not trying to force women together in teams that aren't legitimate on the main roster. It gives them time to become number one contenders, form teams, create storylines, all that. So there's no reason to have two sets. There's certainly no reason to have two sets on the main roster. And that's why I like that they're merging them. Okay, that makes sense. I wasn't sure of the whole background. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez fought Baszler on Raw. Raquel looked set to beat Shayna. When Ronda jumped on the apron to distract, that allowed Baszler to catch Rodriguez 
in a roll-up with Rousey using her foot Uso style for extra leverage on the one, two, three. Now this went two minutes and normally I'd give that an automatic bad, but I'm almost positive that time got cut from this match because it immediately followed the Rollins-Balor segment that clearly went long. So I'm gonna give it a little bit of a break. My larger frustration is that Rodriguez is one of the few women on Raw who is a legitimate opponent for Ripley at SummerSlam, like a legitimate option. So beating her here, even with cheating, is just confusing. So I'll go provisional good. I have a feeling we're gonna get Rodriguez and Rousey next week, and maybe Rodriguez gets a partner to go after the titles. So I'm gonna, I'm willing to see it develop, but for now I'll go good. Yeah, I almost didn't even want to grade it just because it was so short and and everything that just kind of happened. I guess I'll say light bad because of that. Mm-hmm. I, I I've said this before, but Raquel Rodriguez when she comes out for her entrance, the smiling is like out of control. Like it's huge. It's so huge stupid. Smile. It's like a much bigger smile. It's a much bigger smile than when than the graphic that they showed. And so it just like it was kind of like distracting and. You know, I just would like to. I, I think you asked about her on the sun when you interviewed her on the podcast. It's just kind of it's, it's who she is, and it's fine. But I'd like to see a little more like intensity, especially when you're about to go fight Shayna Baszler. You know, a MMA fighter type of thing. Um, but yeah, there was just, there wasn't much here. That said, if we do get Raquel Ronda next week, those two have great chemistry together, and uh, I would I would very much look forward to that. Yeah, and again, that's why I'm a provisional good because if that match next week gets like eight ten minutes. Then I'm going to say, okay, then they were kind of using this to get to that. But for now, you know, it just wasn't really that great and that important based on what you said. So short and nothing really happened. Uh, Chad Gable fought Eric. Maxine Dupree caught Valhalla running at her with an arm drag outside as Gable caught a distracted Eric with a sunset flip cover for the win. Now, this would have hit better if WWE showed the backstage segment where Maxine caught Gable by surprise by showing him that she learned how to do an arm drag while they were training. We didn't get to see that on TV. That was posted on social media instead. I guess it's a light good for a fun low card segment. I'm kind of interested to see what happens with Dupree and Valhalla. Like I shouldn't care about it at all, but I'm just extremely curious on what that's going to look like. I just remain, Chris, disappointed. Like I said last week in the storyline going in this direction, I liked what they were doing with the maximum male models. They're disappeared completely. Maxine's just with these guys. And there's really a low ceiling for this. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about that. Like, I like the stuff with the models. It's I, I assume it's not coming back. So whatever. But I really have enjoyed Maxine Dupree with them. And like you said, that clip they tweeted during the show was great. And Chad Gable is working as the coach, coaching them up. We didn't really get to see that on the show, but I like that gimmick, too. So this was very low card, which is kind of disappointing. But um you, you know, they got to show off, they got to win, they got to look good and all that stuff. And I, the crowd really likes these two together. I, I Like you said, I would have loved to see them do that. But the, the idea of Chad Gable is coaching her up now, I like that. It's low stakes type of stuff, but I still like them together. I think it's good. So I give it a good. few more things to discuss. No grades the rest of the show, though. Uh, Jinder Mahal cut another promo for Indusher saying, since Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin showed them respect by, I guess, being willing to fight them, they'll get a proper match despite last week's attack. I'm not sure a promo in advance of a squash is necessary, but I do love that these guys are all suited up and looking dapper. I think that's a positive. They look good. The promo was kind of hard to hear because they were still playing stadium noise at the time, but all right. Uh, Natalia backstage said, being herself has gotten her nowhere and she's now completely questioning herself 
after losing to Rhea Ripley at Night of Champions. It was like a 15 second promo. So again, no grade. But it's interesting that they're actually going to do something with her from a character perspective rather than just here's a veteran who's in and she gets the fight because she's a veteran and has a decent match that's not as good as you expected. So I am interested, but I couldn't help but think I couldn't help but laugh at this thing because Natty gives her like 15 second promo. Like, I completely doubt myself. I don't know who I am anymore. Walks away and Byron's like, all right, let's go talk to Sammy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was like, I was like, okay, all right. I guess we're not going to linger on that very much. Uh, So I just, I literally laughed when that happened. And then late during Raw, it was announced that Logan Paul will be returning next week. And Chris, I don't really see an obvious challenger for him on the Raw roster right now. It kind of makes me wonder if it might be one of those double return segments that WWE loves doing where like someone comes out and you think that the promotion is for them, but really it's for something else. Maybe Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton answering him. I don't think a returning Johnny Gargano, for example, would have the star power to fight with Logan Paul, especially at like a Money in the Bank, nor would someone like Xavier Woods or maybe even Kofi Kingston. So I'm going to guess double return segment, McIntyre or Orton getting Drew uh, on the Money in the Bank card in Europe obviously would make all the sense in the world. Orton returning against Logan would also make all the sense in the world. So I, I'm guessing something like that's going to happen next week. If Randy Orton returns, I don't think it's going to be for Logan Paul. Um, yeah, Obviously, we hope he's able to recover and everything he's been dealing with. Drew makes perfect sense to come back, be in a UK show. We haven't seen him in a while. Um, coming back from some things. It'd make all the sense in the world. I just, to me, like Drew versus Logan is not a match I could believe, which is kind of weird to say, because like I actually kind of believed Logan versus Roman and some of these other ones, and Logan has done a really good job. Mm -hmm. But Drew is just a thicker guy. And when I see the two of them together, I'm just like, I just feel like Drew McIntyre is just going to like flick this guy like a little punk kid. Um, So I'm curious if that's what it is. I I love Drew. I hope he comes back. I hope he's on the show. We'll see. But uh, yeah, that is something interesting to look forward to, whatever Logan Paul does. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. We haven't really been able to use our meaty drops recently. So you mentioned Drew being beefy. I wanted to throw that in there as quick as I could. Chris, that was the good, the bad, and the ugly, which means there's only one segment left here on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and that is... The last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a sp- poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. And this one comes from Blake Murphy at Chloe Elk Hound. He said, which female superstar would you add to an established stable to help them hit the reset button? I thought this was a really interesting question. The key word that he used is an established stable. So the OC, LWO, and Judgment Day already have women, which now that I think about that is incredibly refreshing. But you could, I guess, throw another woman in any of those stables. The only other stable in WWE right now is the Bloodline. The way isn't officially back, but if and when it's back, it's gonna already have two women from the jump, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell. If we expand it to groups that would then become stables or, or factions, we can add Brawling Brutes, Imperium, Indusher. Those don't have women yet. My truly unconventional take on this would be to start something from scratch and formally group together Bianca Belair, the Street Profits, and Rick Boogs and put them together as 
this just like badass baby face or maybe even a heel type of faction. Belair needs a reset more than anyone else. And those four, I just think they would work so well together, especially with the character that Boogs has with Montez Ford and Dawkins that can play off each other. But to directly answer the question, adding a woman to an established group, I would love to see Tegan Knox with the Brawling Brutes. She fits their fun dynamic. She's from the same area. I believe she's from Wales, of course. They're from England and Ireland. And it would just work extremely well, her with them. Yes, you could say Piper Niven or Nikki Cross in the same spot. I don't think either of them fit the Brutes the way that Tegan potentially could. Um, I don't know what's happening with Tegan, if she's injured, why she's not around. That's really frustrating. But that was the first one that came to my mind. It, it's not the first obvious answer, which can't happen, is Trinity Fatu of course. joining the bloodline, right. Jimmy's wife. It makes all the sense in the world. She's an impact now. So Naomi obviously is an impact now. So doesn't seem like that could happen. My other thought was what you just said, which was Piper Nevin with the Brutes, mm-hmm. um, because She's just, she's a very, she can be a very physical wrestler. She's just, she's big, you know, like we talk, the brutes, we talk about other than Butch, but we got two meanie men in the brutes. Piper and Evan would fit in there as well. I think that would be a great spot. I, I, I am so high on Piper and we haven't seen her in a long time. I don't know what's going on. She moved away from Dewdrop. She's, I still think she has all the potential in the world. She can do everything that you want and um, throwing her into the brutes would be great. I think brute is more of a male term. I don't know if you need to change the name or whatever, mm. but yeah. I think that would be great to throw her in there. Another person that I think would be interesting possibly would be, and I like what Sonia Deville is doing with Chelsea Green. Don't get me wrong. I do think Chelsea could accomplish what she's doing on her own. If you took Sonia and like turned her like dark and brooding and put her in the judgment day and just continue growing that group, which I do believe there's a larger uh, presence that Judgment Day can take than the members it currently has. And I know I'm not trying to make it the NWO or anything crazy like that, but it is a way to kind of take talent and elevate them by putting them alongside other people who are heavily featured on screen. Another option could be like Liv Morgan when she eventually returns from that shoulder injury She comes back and she's dejected and she's out there. If you remember, she used to team with Rhea Ripley. Maybe Ripley recruits Liv and she joins Judgment Day. And instead of being this somewhat bubbly, you know, live for the moment blonde girl, she, her hair gets dark and she starts wearing the makeup and she's part of Judgment Day. So I think there's so many interesting things that you could do, but in the true essence of the question, it's talking about someone who you want to hit the reset button on. And I don't think Liv Morgan needs to be reset. She's over like Rover. And when she comes back, that's going to be great. But like Tegan, Piper, um, Bianca Belair, those are the women that I think could benefit from something like that. It's just, I don't know that there's a ready-made group right now where adding a woman would set them on a certain trajectory. My other thought was uh, Nikki Cross in Judgment Day, kind of back to mm. her. Yeah, that would, that would work too. Roots. Her, she and Rhea work well together. She could be her underling, you, you know, but uh, no, it was a good question. It is cool, though. Again, like Meechin's with the OC, Zelina Vega's with the LWO, Rhea Ripley's with Judgment Day already. Like, that's great. That's refreshing. That's new. And they're yeah. all better being with those groups than they were otherwise. Like, Ripley, her career is completely turned around. Not that she was um, 
having a bad career or anything, but she just didn't really have momentum on the main roster. She clearly has that now. Meechin is being featured, you know, versus not being featured before uh, she was with the OC. And Zelina Vega is probably doing the best in-ring work um, and actual as a wrestler work of her entire career with LWO. And, and she completely fits with what they're doing over there. So, you know, yes, you know, Blake, to your question, you could add women and, and give them, you know, resets and by adding them to stables. But more important than that, I like what WWE's already done with the women that they've added to these groups, uh, creating stables and factions and helped reset their characters. So credit to them for doing a really good job at it. Triple H loves him some facts. And we love that about him. We absolutely do. All right, Chris, that was the latest WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Now, we will be back Thursday with our AEW and NXT episode. With AEW Collision debuting on Saturday night, there is a good chance, not guaranteeing it, not set in stone, we have to see what our schedules look like, but there is a good chance that Vintage and I will do an instant reaction show to that, perhaps on Saturday, maybe early Sunday, so keep an eye out for that as well. And then, with AEW Collision now part of the schedule, there may be a bit of a change to what we get week to week from the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I still need to think through that, need to evaluate Collision, what we're actually getting on that show to see if our schedule will change. One other item on the way out, just a little bit of a tease, but we have a big time WWE interview coming soon to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. It is planned for this week with my goal of publishing it next week. You may think, well, oh, if Silver King's saying it's a big deal, it might be Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins. Don't think that way. Think another way. That's the only tease that I'm going to give you, but it is someone that you are getting overheads and wrestling fans in general have wanted to hear from pretty much the last year or two, and we hope to bring that to you next week. I appreciate all of you listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On the way out, a quick set of reminders first that this show is all about So be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, don't forget, I happen to love the number five. Join us and become an official Getting Overhead at buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover. Only $5 a month. You get bonus shows, news posts, and you get to support the podcast with that contribution. Once again, buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover. Finally, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and so much more. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Thanks to Vintage Chris Manini for joining me. This is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>